There's a story about a woman who was pregnant with her very first child. <clears throat> and one day her four-year-old nephew came over to visit her. She allowed him to place his hands on her belly so that he could feel the baby as the baby was kicking. His face got really wide and he had this puzzled look on his face and he said, how is that baby going to get out of there? And the lady, she was wanting to, to somehow keep it really simple and not go into any long explanation. And so she just said, well, the doctor will help. And his eyes, at that point, his eyes got really, really big. And he says, you mean you have a doctor in there too? <laughs> no, there was not a doctor inside that woman. But the intriguing thing about our scripture today, which Karen just read for us, is that Jesus said that we have something even more impressive than a doctor inside of us. That is the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus told his disciples in verses 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is inside of each and every one of you. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's a fundamental teaching within Scripture that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of each and every believer. God promised it even all the way back in Ezekiel's time. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, I will put my spirit within you. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are told, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is, is talking to one of his apprentices, a person he's training, the guy's name is Timothy, and so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In fact, you cannot belong to Jesus without having his spirit inside of you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And what's so interesting is that Jesus tells us why the spirit is going to be within us. And one of the reasons he gives is actually found in verse 26 of our scripture, but the advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But who is it that Jesus is talking to in this portion of Scripture? Well, he's talking to his 12 closest disciples, the men who would become the apostles. The apostles, they were the men who were responsible for establishing and strengthening the church. They were the ones that the congregations were going to turn to for guidance and for instruction. Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And so they're waiting. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so that there was the very beginning of the church. We are told that the early Christians, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It was their teachings who explained who Jesus was and what we are to believe as Christians. Paul actually wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. The apostles, they were able to do some very powerful, some very amazing things. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit came, he was moving powerfully in their midst. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. And I believe that would be what we would call the very first revival. And since then, over the ages, when people have sought after God and have prayed for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there have been revival after revival after revival. But there are also churches where preachers and teachers, they regard their own teachings and their own prophecies as being as infallible as those of the early apostles. There was a church in Texas that had this beautiful poster. And it was posted in the foyer. It was a prophecy that the church's pastor had made. The preacher, he had, he had gone and he'd set it out there boldly so that everyone could see it because he believed that his teachings that they were as powerful as those of the early apostles. In late October 2020, Pat Robertson, he made a prophecy on the 700 Club, and he said, first of all, I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election. The Lord, he even said a little bit later on, the Lord told me the president is going to be reelected. Jeremiah Johnson, who was the founder of the Jeremiah Johnson Ministries, prophesied Donald J. Trump would be reelected. Now, I'm not going political here. These are just prophecy things that were thrown out there. Kat Kerr, president of OneQuest International, declared, there is no doubt whatsoever Trump will win. That's God's plan. And the rocks are about to move, and Trump will be president no matter what you hear. He will sit in office for four more years, and God will have his way in this country. And each and every one of these people, they prophesied that Trump was going to win. That he would be the president. And you know what? They were all wrong. <laughs> now back in the Old Testament, those prophets, those three individuals, they would have been stoned to death. Because their prophecies did not come true. And because of that, they would have been false prophets. But the real problem here is that not only were they false prophets, not only were they said, God had spoken to me and this is going to take place, but it didn't happen. But their arrogance, it kind of serves to undermine the faith of real Christians and the ability of, of God's spirit to actually do things today. And as a result, there are a lot of really decent Christians who will say, yes, the Spirit spoke to the apostles. Yes, the Spirit moved through the apostles. But he's not going to talk to me. He's not going to move in my life. In fact, there are Christians who don't think that the Spirit does anything at all anymore. The Spirit moved with power back then, but now the Spirit is just kind of quiet. 
coasting, if you will. But you know what? That's not true. Don't mistake the fact that just because we are not apostles, that the Holy Spirit can't work in our lives as well. That the Holy Spirit does not talk to us today because he does and he can work in our lives. When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, he was talking to us as well. That same spirit that the apostles had will teach us. He will instruct us. He will guide us. He can do all kinds of other things in our lives because Jesus sent him to help us. He is our helper. He is the advocate. The the original version was he is the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is a paraclete. He's there to help us. In fact, Jesus describes him with these words, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And so the Holy Spirit has been sent to help us. So how does he help us? Well, the very first thing, he helps us in our prayers. Have you ever felt like your, your prayers were, were empty? Like your, your prayers aren't going beyond the ceiling? You're, you're just kind of praying, and the, and the words almost seem to be coming out empty, and, there, and there's just nothing in them. You see, too often we think that our prayers, they need to be perfect. They, they need to be these eloquent speeches that, that they need to have this nice flow to them. Intellectually powerful and when that happens, we feel like, wow, God, God really is going to listen to this. He's going to be impressed by what I have to pray. But then there are times, and probably most of the times, that doesn't happen. You don't really know what to pray or exactly how to pray. You, you, you're there and you're, you're fumbling and you're, and you're bumbling over all your own words and stuff like that. It just doesn't seem to have that flow. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Essentially, the Holy Spirit is our hotline to God. The Holy Spirit is our direct communication to God. And he dwells inside each and every one of us. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows how we are feeling. And so when you're praying and and it doesn't seem to be going the way you think it should and and you can't really put into words what it is you're thinking, what it is you're feeling, and you seem to be fumbling over yourself, don't worry about it. That's okay, because the Spirit knows, and the Spirit groans, and he intercedes for us with words that that we can't even think of. See, he helps us in our prayers. And second, he helps us by giving us power. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There was a first grader, and he was asked a, a, a question, what are you going to be when you grow up? And his answer was, when I grow up, I want to be a lion tamer. And I'm going to have lots of really fierce lions, and I'm going to go and to step in their cage, and they're going to roar. 
And then he kind of stopped and he was thinking about what it was he was saying. And then he added the line, but of course, I'll have my mommy there with me. See, what he was saying was that his mom gives him the courage to be able to do these kind of things. Now, many of you know that, uh, that I have a, a great nephew. His name is Teo. Man, I love Teo. And you'll, Lisa will plaster pictures all over Facebook of me and Teo and, and the things that we do. And, and I just love hanging out with him. Well, back several months ago, I was working on my roof. I was re-roofing my house. And I had a ladder from the ground up to my roof. And do you know that Teo climbed all the way up that ladder? All the way to the roof. Yeah. Now, he would do it, and I was with him. Okay, and I, was, and I climbed up the ladder with him. I said, okay, your foot needs to go here and here. And he put his feet up. And he had no fear whatsoever. Climbed all the way up, and he was up there. He was looking around. He was ready to climb on the roof. I wouldn't let him. Someone was stopping me. But you see, and then he climbed all the way down, and then uh, a few weeks ago, we had a birthday party here at the church for a tale, and, and I got the ladder out, oh, because I had to get a balloon that somebody released to the ceiling, and I had the, an A-frame ladder, which we have back there, and he was all willing to climb up the ladder. As long as I am there with him, and I'm guiding him and helping him, he has no fear. He'll climb all the way up to the top. Now, our roof is not really, really high. It's only like eight feet off the ground, but he has no fear. Because his Lolo is there with him. When Joshua was about to enter into the promised land, God told him, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. And you see, as Christians, that promise is doubly true for us. As God was with Moses, he is with you right now. The same God that that we see moving in the Old Testament, he's the same God today, right now. And because he is in you, you, he will never fail you. He will never abandon you. He is your power. He gives you the power to stand firm in your faith. And so we trust God's spirit. When we do, we can become a little bit like Winston Churchill, who when he was selected as the prime minister of England during World War II, he seemed to have this courage and this determination to move on. And someone said that he was a man utterly blind of reason, a man who refused to see the sound and compelling reasons for despair and surrender. With him, there was no surrender. And that's what the spirit of God can do for each and every one of us. We can be so filled with God's powerful spirit that we see no reason for despair. We see no reason for surrender. He fills us with hope. He fills us with power. Third, the spirit helps us by guiding us and directing us. Acts chapter 13, verse 4 tells us that the two of them, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, that the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guided these two men as they went out on their missionary journeys and as they ministered together. But you see, you've got to want to be guided by God's Spirit to get any of that done. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we are told, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In other words, if you want to be guided, if you want to be directed by God's wisdom, 
Ask God, and God will give it to you through his Holy Spirit. He'll give it you what you've asked for. Have any of you ever heard of Zohar Sharon? If anyone raises your hand, it's a miracle. Nope, nobody? Good, you're going to love this one then. Well, he is the world's best blind golfer. Yeah, you can chuckle a little bit. It sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Let's, let's go on. Zohar, Sharon, says that he is as good as he is because of his caddy. His caddy's name is Shin, Shimshon Levi. And Levi leads Sharon around the course, and he plants the tee, he puts the ball on it, he lines Sharon up, gives him the club, and then he describes to him what the golf course looks like. Tells him how far it is away and, and what it looks like. And then allows him to hit. Get this, when it comes to putting, they're on the green and they're trying to sink the ball in that little hole, which most of us can never do if we try. But when he gets to there, Levi actually places Sharon's hands on the club and stands him and lines him up with the ball and then tells him how far the, the cup is away and maybe even the terrain a little bit. And then get this, he goes over and he stands, I'm still in, right? And he, and he stands where the cup is and he starts clapping. That way, Sharon will know how far and the direction to put the ball. Sharon jokingly refers to himself as the world's greatest golf player at night. <laughs> he adds, there are no restrictions for blind people in golf if you have a good caddy. Eventually, essentially, God's Holy Spirit is our caddy. He will help us. He will guide us. He can, he can tell us what the terrain is if we will let him. He can guide us through life. And he does it mostly through Scripture, through the Word of God, but he also does this through, through our conscience. You know, sometimes you, you just have this gut feeling, just know you're supposed to be doing something or, or you're not doing something. But he also does it through circumstances in our lives, kind of guiding and directing, opening doors, closing doors. I felt him nudge me occasionally and say, mm, we need to get back on track over here, moving this way. The Spirit is my helper. He is my caddy as I work my way through the golf course of life. How do you like that one? <laughs> and last and probably most importantly, the Spirit becomes our mark of salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us, In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation believed in him. You were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This means that if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, if you're doing your very best to follow after Jesus Christ, then the spirit of God is inside of you. And when you come before the, the throne of God, at the resurrection, that seal, that mark, that spirit living inside of you is the only thing that God is going to see. Revelation tells us that at the judgment, the dead, great and small, will stand before the throne and the books, they will be open and the deeds will, will be judged by what is written in those books according to what you have done. Every one of us stands before the judgment seat of God. All of our deeds are, are going to be laid out there for everyone. 
That happens to all of us. But if, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then that's what God sees. The rest is forgotten. The rest is put aside. And God sees that mark, that seal, the helper that dwells inside of you. And how do you get that Holy Spirit? Ephesians 1 says you get him because you believed in Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it tells us how we, we can act on that belief. You repent and you baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Are you following after him? Does his spirit live inside of you? Because you see, it's what's on the inside that counts.